So hello and welcome to the Flying Frisbee podcast with me, Dominic Frisbee. And today we have another video interview with you. And this is one of those roundabout um, friendships that I've developed over the years. I'm talking to a chap called Danny Rickman. I first met Danny because he would come and sit uh, with his girlfriend in the front row of a comedy club that I used to regularly host at. And apparently I used to take the mickey out of him and in particular his girlfriend for speaking so posh, which in my mind is a good thing. And, uh, and we developed a friendship and Danny was very interested in land value tax, which was a, an idea that I was espousing um, around about the time that I wrote my, wrote my tax book. But Danny works in tech, and I think he's been pretty successful in tech over the years and was on the verge of retiring. But I know, like me and like many of my listeners out there, he has become gripped by the potential of AI, of chat, GPT, of mid-journey, and all the developments that have suddenly happened over the last three or four months. And he's written about it extensively. And so I thought it would be great to have Danny on to talk about chat gpt and 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 what the implications are and what the potential is so danny welcome to the show lovely to be talking to you you've That's escaped right. from london down to hertfordshire i believe uh hoping up to, to retire up to hertfordshire yeah. um, well, in, in in my mind anywhere that's outside of london is down but i take your point um and uh, and uh yeah so why don't we talk about how this this um ai has pulled you back from your retirement why don't we start with that yeah, well, um, I mean, I, I wasn't planning to fully retire. I was just trying to um, slowly, gradually sort of start winding work down and working fewer days per week. Um, and that was all kind of part of the move out here as well, you know, um, moving into the middle of nowhere. Um, did you, but, you work for um, Google at one stage? Am I right? You worked for Google or you I did something? No, like I've, never, I've never worked for Google. I've had involvement with them over the years and I've been quite heavily involved in SEO in search, um, which is maybe why you think so. Um, but uh, no, never, never actually worked for them. I've always been um, uh, freelance and doing consultancy. Um, that's been my area. Um, and yeah, I've been doing that for a long time. I mean, I, you know, I've been, I started a software company in 1983 um, and, uh, and then got involved in search when the web came along and Google started. Um, but then about a year and a half ago, I started to become aware of the work of OpenAI, which is the company that produced um, GPT. Um, what was GPT-3 is now GPT-4. Um, and once I started playing around with the underlying technology, so this was long before chat GPT, um, which has kind of caught people's attention, um, I was just blown away. Uh, I just really could not believe what this tech was capable of and the direction it was heading and started building tools and building different applications uh, to see what it was capable of doing. And I just got obsessed with it I think I'm now at a point of it being an unhealthy obsession where I pretty much can't think of anything other than AI at the moment I wake up thinking of, about it I go to bed at night thinking about it um, and I'm just boring everyone I know talking about it so yeah well why don't you tell us about uh, uh, there's two questions I immediately have for you is this as big as the internet oh you no know question. what I'm What's that? Yeah, no question. Yeah. 
Um, I so mean, I remember I... the internet came along, it would have been, well, it came to every man, if you like. In, 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 it, I always have 2000 as the cutoff year because uh, it, it's just because it's a nice round number. But sort of everything, if I look at, for example, my comedy, there's no record of it before maybe right. 99, 98. And then okay. suddenly there's a record of it. So, so it, was and 90, I think, 90, it was 97 for me. OK, um, maybe maybe I, it was probably 98, to be honest. I think that's when I started doing emails and online. Yeah. There, there would be on these chats that came through every morning and you'd yeah, get involved. Well, I, in I that. actually started my first online business in 98 and only 5% of my clients had an email address. OK. Yeah, I would agree with that 98. So it's it's bigger than the Internet. No question. I mean, absolutely no question at all. Um, I mean, obviously, it's a very different thing from the Internet. Um, but in terms of the degree to which this technology is going to be disruptive in pretty much every single area, I really cannot see any industry, any sector where this is not going to be hugely disruptive uh, and far more so than the Internet has been. Yeah, it's so inevitable. Tell us. Tell us how it's going to disrupt and also tell us some of the applications that you've developed over the last year. Well, let me start with that, the second part first. I'll kind of start with a little bit about my journey through this tech, you know. Um, so this actually started, I don't know if you saw something that blew up on Twitter um, that, that I posted on there. So I was just playing around with the tech and kind of seeing different things it could do. I was helping out a young guy who lives locally to me. He started up a business, brand new business, um, installing swimming pools um, yeah. in the area, um, building and installing swimming pools. And this was a very new thing for him. He'd only ever previously done kind of like handyman work, building flat pack furniture, that kind of thing. And I was trying to help him get this business off the ground. And he was very nervous because he suffers uh, quite badly with dyslexia. Uh, and ADHD. And he knew that if he's now going to start working on these big projects, you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds, he's going to have to send emails to people, he's going to have to put contracts together, uh, detailed quotations and estimates, and his ability to communicate in writing is extremely limited. Okay. So I was trying to help him. And once we got the business off the ground, he got a website um, and he started to get some inquiries in from people. Um, you still there? Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm just fixing my lights. <laughs> um, I'm listening to you. Wanna, I'm hanging on your pause? every word. There we'll, we are. We'll there you go. Um, yeah, so, um, so he started getting inquiries in from clients, and he's now having to respond to them. And he's just checking with me to say, like, is this okay for me to send? And it was like... Um, Hi, Sally, we'll seize use on Friday. Um, and I said to him, you know, Ben, I said, this is like a £200,000 project. You can't be sending emails that look like that. You know, um, people are going to infer things from how you're sending those messages. So he would send the email to me. I would then rewrite it. Yeah. And then he would send it on to the client. And this started to become a bit of a problem and, and take up a lot of my time. So I then um, used GPT-3, which it was at the time, developed a little app for him where he would send an email to a Gmail account, which said, hi, Sally, we'll seize use on Friday. 
it would then send him an email back saying, dear Sally, it was a pleasure to meet you last week. Uh, and it would just completely rephrase it in a kind of professionally formatted business type email that was suitable for sending to a client. Now, I read the before and after email uh, that you posted yeah. on Twitter that yeah. went viral. Yeah. I, can, can you recall it? Are you able to, to, to phrase exactly the before and after? I can look it up. Um, yeah, OK. Could, yeah. it, it, don't worry about looking it up, but it, it really was as uh, uh, it really was you know, the before and after was as broad as what you've yeah. just described. That's, sure, that's sure, what sure, I was sure. it, yeah, yeah, it really was. Um, so anyway, so I put this together and then it occurred to me afterwards, well, there must be a lot of people out there in a similar situation to Ben that really struggle with written communication. And so I thought, well, I'm going to just write this up, show this example, put it on Twitter and explain to people how they can do this themselves, you know. Um, and I and, thought... And this by was, the way, Danny, you know, I'm 53 and I like to regard myself as fairly open-minded, but I do, if I get emails from people that are spelt wrong, no capital mm -hmm. letters, all that kind of stuff, I instantly write them off. Now that's it, uh, particularly if I was buying a hundred thousand pound swimming pool in my back garden, yeah. I just would like, I need a yeah. guy who at least is coherent. Yeah. yeah. I know. And, I, and I'm sure I would be the same. I mean, as I've become more aware of dyslexia and, and all these kind of different conditions, I think it's kind of changed my view on that because, um, you know, one of the things that came out of this tweet going viral is that I was getting a lot of comments from people saying, oh, yeah, well, when he meets the client, he's just going to come across as a, as a moron, you know, and people make this association that if somebody struggles with written communication, it's some indication of their intelligence. And that's just not the case with Ben at all. He's a smart guy and extremely capable. He's, he's uh, in terms of his ability to install and build swimming pools, you, you couldn't find someone uh, better to do that job, you know, um, so yeah, anyway, and, and emails are not relevant to swimming pool construction, really, are they? Not really. Um, so anyway, I put this up on Twitter. I fully expected that it would get maybe five likes and maybe one retweet is the kind of typical response I get for things that you probably you know, you get get uh, far more engagement. But that that's my kind of typical uh, response on Twitter. And uh, and for the first 30 minutes, that's pretty much what it was. And then it just went completely berserk. And within a day, it had 10 million views, a half a million engagements. And I received, I think it was around about 20,000 emails and messages from people. Crikey. Um, I then, then, you need ChatGP to process them all. Well, I just, it was the first time I've ever not been able to respond to everyone that's contacted me, you know. Um, and then it kind of got picked up by the media and it ended up in um, ended up in the Washington Post, ended up on BuzzFeed and TechCrunch and Gizmodo and just, yeah. And Money uh, Week. So, <laughs> and Money Week. And so, yeah, so it ended up um, with like there was a week where Ben and I were just doing media interviews back to back all day, every day. Mm. Just, you know, not an experience that I've ever had before, you know. Um, and yeah, most of the people that were contacting me were people who, like Ben, really struggle with these things. And um, not just um, dyslexia either. We had people who with autism mm -hmm. where 
they're very capable of writing. Many people with autism are very capable of writing, but where they struggle is they, um, they find it hard to understand the tone, whether the tone is appropriate. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and people who are deaf, and I thought, why would people who are deaf have any trouble with written communication? But um, for many deaf people, uh, sign language is their first language. And so they, they have difficulty. Uh, so I learned. So, so there were all these kind of different uh, use cases. And uh, anyway, one thing led to another. And I then got contacted by OpenAI, who built this tech. They did the clever bit. I did the really simple bit. Um, and we're now doing building an app in collaboration with OpenAI, in collaboration with the British Dyslexia Association. Um, and it's just going to be free for everyone to use. Anyone that struggles with writing can just use this wherever they like. So, so that was kind of what kicked it all off, really. Um, so for, for Ben's message, I would send, I would send it to one. I would send my. So I would get an, an inquiry from from whoever from open ai and instead of replying to open ai i would reply to to another gmail which would process go go on sorry that's just the clunky way i set it up at the time for ben the 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 public app when it will be ready in a few weeks um it won't work that way it will simply be an app that you'll have on your phone or your device and i can Um, put it into my gmail or you can just you can you can just type the message yeah. Or you can speak into it. So for yeah. anyone that has difficulty typing, they can just speak into it and it will immediately just transcribe what you've said and convert it into something ready to then send on as an email. OK, see, I was already noticing this is before OpenAI. This is two or three years ago. I noticed this, that when a lot of the time you get an email and you, you know, it, it doesn't warrant a, a, a lengthy reply, it just warrants a one line reply to acknowledge the fact that you've received the email and whatever the content of the email has entered your head and i already noticed that gmail the prompts that were coming up from gmail the one line prompts were better than what i would write yeah and well, and, and i'm a writer <laughs> yeah so you know my, my my app that i'm building is going to be redundant very soon because this technology is just going to be built in and integrated into every single app and software that you use. I mean, I don't know if you saw, but just this week, Microsoft has announced that they're now building AI into Microsoft Word, into PowerPoint, into uh, Excel, into all of their applications. It's just going to become a standard part of it. And so you go open up Microsoft Word, you want to write a letter to somebody, you don't have to write a letter, you just describe what letter you want to send, give it a brief outline of what you need to say, and it will write the letter for you. You need to create a presentation with a deck of slides. You just describe what you need in the slides. Um, yeah, this is I mean, that's what I, I, I was playing with Mid Journey a couple of nights ago. And I, I must say, I struggle with Discord. But I, I just said, do me a logo of a flying Frisbee. The flying Frisbee is the name of my Substack. I said, do me a logo of a flying Frisbee. Um, I think I said, do me a cool logo of a flying Frisbee. Mm-hmm. And it was doing all these futurist uh uh sources and stuff and they were brilliant and i was just looking at 
you know, because on the free version on Discord, you can see what other people are writing and the results yeah. that are coming. And people are literally just putting one line prompts and the pictures that Mid Journeys come, you know, show yeah. me a picture of a black woman in the 1930s uh, in Louisiana or something. And yeah. these beautiful pictures would, would come up of these. And you, you're and, like, and, wow. And, and, and it's recently improved even further because Mid Journey just released yesterday version five which has just taken it onto a whole other level. Um, by the way, if you struggle with Discord, let's have a chat later because I can show you a way to m make that much easier. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, um, so so I, I was immediately thinking, so let's say I get AI to write me a letter or something and or, or design me a thing, and then for some reason that letter gets me in trouble Let, let's say maybe it's libelous or it made a promise that i wasn't able to keep uh uh something like that um and and so i'm in court and then i go well i didn't write the letter ai wrote the letter is that going to be a thing i'm not a lawyer i can't answer that question i'm just a sad tech boss um, but i mean is that i'm surely that's going to become a legal issue there, there is inevitably going to be so many legal issues that this throws up. I mean, you know, not yeah. just around, um, uh, you know, defamation, uh, but also around uh, copyright issues, who owns that text, you know. Um, so, you know, IP lawyers are going to be kept very busy for a very long time. Um, it's, one, it's one of the fields where there's probably going to be uh, uh, plenty of work still available for many years because, yeah, it's just going to throw up so many things. Um and yeah, I'm just not qualified to answer, to, to, to know about the legal aspect of it. Um, but, you know, content creation, writing letters and generating text is really just the kind of the basic things here. I mean, there, there are so many yeah. things. I mean, let me I give you another graphic design. I think graphic design is really going to have problems now. Gra graphic design. I mean, I don't know if you saw they've just so they've just brought out a new version GPT-4. Yeah. And one of the new features of that is that it can now be instructed through an image. So you don't have to type anything. Oh my gosh. So the demo that they did when they were showing it is uh, one of the guys that works at OpenAI. He got a sheet of paper and he sketched out like uh, an app. So just like the interface for an app with some boxes where you put in information and a heading on the top and a picture. And he took a picture of that scrap of paper and it was a really basic sketch you know mm. he's not an artist or a designer by any yeah. stretch of imagination he took a picture on his phone of that piece of paper sent that over to uh, gpt4 it built the app gosh <laughs> yeah you just but, built the app <laughs> so i used to i once narrated a documentary about robots and one of the things that they said that robots were going to be for was in the care industry. So robots would look after old people and, and do all the care. And it wouldn't just be the cleaning up and so on. It would be the, uh, they would talk to them and keep them company and be a, a loving, friendly. Family. And I remember thinking, no, that's never going to happen because nobody instinctively were human beings. We don't want the company of robots. We want the company of other human beings. And then over the past week or two, I just find myself I'm, I'm working on a new book. So and I find myself more and more turning to chat GBT to do my research than Google. And, and I'm finding that chat GPT, it, 
it often gets you started on something, but it's often wrong. Mm-hmm. And and then so then you find yourself talking to it and arguing with it, and I'm actually finding I actually really enjoy its company. Yeah, <laughs> and I don't so, think I don't think I would instinctively the idea of enjoying a story that was created by a robot or enjoying a picture that was created by a robot. I don't think that's instinctively I go no, but in yeah. practice it's quite different. So I think I think it's worth just. Uh, having a little um, look at that, what you've just said about quite often it's wrong, because I know this is a very common complaint of this yeah. technology is around accuracy. And so, uh, first of all, G- GPT, GP, GPT, I keep saying GPT-3 because I got so used to saying it, but yeah. yeah, GPT is not designed to be right. What it's designed to do and the way that language models work is to generate the most probable response to what you've provided. Okay. That's what it's designed to do. So it's been trained on a huge amount of text that it was provided from Wikipedia, from millions of websites all around the web. It's raided Wikipedia like mad. Like Jimmy Wales must be asking (laughs) some questions. Um, That training data was cut off, ended in September 2021. Yeah. So if you asked it, who's the prime minister of, of the UK, of Britain, um, it will tell you it's Boris Johnson. OK. Right. So it only knows what it was told at the time, and it's only trying to give you the most probable answer it can. Um, yeah. Now, there are already solutions to avoid this issue. So I don't know if you've seen now Bing, Microsoft Bing, their search engine, has now incorporated um, GPT into their search. Mm-hmm. So now what happens is you do a search on Bing, Bing's new search engine. You do a search. What it will do is it will do a, a web search to get the latest inf- information, the most accurate data it can find on the web, mm-hmm. all that information in, and then GPT-3 then formulates a response for you. So that whole issue around accuracy and recency, you know, uh, its ability to give current information is uh, a problem already being solved. Uh, yeah, no, but ChatGPT would be wrong about historical facts. You know, I would ask it, uh, what did the, you, you know, what was the contents of the such and such a royal proclamation in 1632 or something? Because and it's not connected to... Because it's not connected to the web. So if that wasn't part of its training data when it was originally set up, okay, then it won't have that information. If it could do a search on the web and find that information from a reputable source and then give you a response, you won't find those inaccuracies. I've got you. I've got you. So I should be using Bing rather than ChatGPT, in other words, then? If, you, if, you're, if you're concerned to make sure that you're getting accurate, current, the best information that's out there, Okay. Um, publicly available, then yes. Okay. Now I notice that um, Microsoft has em- embraced this, and Microsoft is a leading investor. Yeah. Uh, and I also noticed that Elon Musk gave him a hundred million dollars, mm-hmm. and he's saying, "How can I give you a hundred million dollars for an open source project, and you be turning it into a for-profit model?" Can you talk about that for a little bit? Um. Yeah. I mean. So OpenAI's response to this and, and their, their, their kind of their counter to the criticisms around the fact that it was originally set up to be an open source project, non-profit, um, 
their argument to this is that we can't keep this open source and non-profit um, while still maintaining the security and integrity of this system. If we make it open and available to anyone, it then exposes this technology and makes it, um, it, it increases the risk of this being misused. So at the moment, they can control it. So if you go to GP, if you go to chat GPT, chat GPT, and you ask it to give you the instructions for making a bomb, yeah. it will come back to you and say, I'm, I, I can't, I'm not going to do that for you. They've designed it to prevent that happening. If they made it open source, freely available, all the code available to everyone, they will lose that control over it. That's their argument as to, uh, okay. as to why they can't make this open okay. source. Okay, that raises a million different questions, and I, it's, it's not the purpose of this interview, but, but uh, to, to go down that, that particular rabbit hole. Uh, so, but, but what about the bias issue? They say they've, they've dealt with a lot of that. Yeah, and they're refining this model all the time. I mean, that was kind of the point of them releasing ChatGPT and making it free and available for everyone to use is because it then very quickly allowed them to collect a lot of data and get the AI to identify areas where it was creating risk um, and presenting misinformation. It just very quickly got them to improve that, that model um, uh, quicker than they could do through internal testing. Now... As an investor, I'm looking at this and going long, long Microsoft, short Google. Uh, what are the implications for Google? Yeah, it's been a bit frustrating for me with Google because I know that Google have been working in this field for years. They bought DeepMind, who are probably one of the leading AI companies in the world. Um, they have the capability to build models that exceed the ability uh, and probably have, almost certainly have, um, uh, that, that are better than uh, GPT, but they, they sit on it. And um, you've got to remember that Microsoft and Google are starting from a very different place. Um, Google seem to be far more risk averse. And particularly when it comes to using AI in search, You've got to remember there's a big difference between Google and Microsoft here. Google relies on advertising for 85% of its income. Mm -hmm. Microsoft relies on advertising for 5% of its income. I've got you. So Microsoft can approach this and say, well, all we need to do is just grab market share from Google and get as many people using our search engine as possible um, so that we can grab market share. And then we'll figure out a way to make money from it. Google, the whole, the whole entire business is dependent on that advertising they serve in Google search results. So they're gonna be very concerned about doing anything that might diminish the clicks on those ads. Um, and so they, they take a very cautious approach. And so it's, it's not to do with their technical ability, it's a cultural issue between these two organizations um, that means that Google talks, <laughs> talks a good fight. They, they, they keep talking about, oh yeah, we can, do this and we can do this and we're going to be bringing this out at some point but uh yeah while 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 google talks microsoft ships okay um, and let me ask you a question so you, you you don't answer this dan if you don't want to but you developed this app for ben the swimming pool guy and it blew up and then open ai approached you and will you develop an app for us are they paying you for that or are you doing no that? no no that whole project nobody is so they, they didn't ask me to develop an app for them. 
they just said, if you want to build this app, we'll supply you GPT-3 to, to, do, to, to be able to provide it free for people. I'm not building it for them. So it's just a, it's a pro bono project for everyone involved. So the hosting company, the designer, me, the co person that's doing the code to put it together, uh, OpenAI who are providing their technology to make the whole thing run. Everyone's doing it for nothing. Okay, so uh, th this is a, 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 this is specific to you, but it's a broader question about um, open stuff, open source stuff more generally. Like, you know, I do a lot of stuff and I put it out there for free. You know, I make a video and I put it on YouTube and uh, and I put it out there for free. And yes, the good the video is a good advert for my comedy or whatever if it's funny and lots of people watch it. But at the same time, you know, I don't I don't earn any money from it. So it's a sort of advert for my brand, if you like. Mm -hmm. Why? But so is the, the open source thing. Obviously, you put ideas out there and they develop and you you learn and, and the world gets better. But why would you do something like that with a big organization like that? That's got deep pockets who ultimately will be the biggest beneficiary for nothing. What's the re? What? Well, how does that world work? What's the? Well, okay. So, well, so, so. I mean, I know you're quite. A fin you've made a lot of money in your part, or some money, and you're a philanthropic type anyway. But, but, yeah, carry on. What's well, so that? So, for, so first of all, I don't really have this hunger for. I'm not at a stage in my career where I'm trying to make as much money as I possibly can. Um, I'm trying to do the opposite. Um, so, <laughs> if you need so, to lose money, I can help you out. I've got, I've got some. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, so that, that for me is not, it's just not one of my, it's just not one of my primary objectives. You know, I'm just, I, I, my objective in my work is to work on projects that are fun and enjoyable that I'm going to learn something from and lead to opportunities for me, not necessarily money-making opportunities, but opportunities to work on other fun and interesting projects. And it's certainly done that. I mean, there's no question um, I mean, I don't know that OpenAI are going to be the biggest beneficiaries of that app. I think the biggest beneficiaries will be the people that use that app. Okay, um, that's my hope, um, that it allows a lot of people who would otherwise struggle to put down what they want to say in writing to be able to do so. Um, and so that feels good to be able to put that out into the world, you know, um, and I will to anyone watching, I will endorse that because one of the reasons that me and Danny forged a friendship in the first place was you were quite captivated by my, the land value tax idea, which is like nobody, the world would be a better place if we had no taxes except for land value tax. And, but the fight, I know this because there are Georgists who are trying to get land value tax taken over and they're all in a dark, lonely place <laughs> in the world. It's one of those things that you just do because it makes the world better rather than you actually make any money out of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think it would be good as well to just kind of expand on from what this technology is capable of to give an yeah, yeah, insight yeah. as to where this is going. Because as a result of all of this, I've then now been asked to work on a number of different projects. And so after the Ben's little app, the next thing I worked on, I've got a client that I've been doing consultancy for. I've been working with them for about seven years. Um, they're a criminal law firm criminal defense law firm, um, very successful firm. They're based in London. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're in trouble with the police uh, for a serious crime, you go to a firm like this and, and they help you out. 
they've got a website um, which generates somewhere in the region of around about two to 300 new client inquiries every day. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot. And when people send an inquiry from the website, they're filling out a form and it's quite verbose. They're, they're sort of describing everything that's happened up to the point at which they've been arrested by the police. So, mm -hmm. yeah, my girlfriend did this and, and yeah, my mate. And, you know, there's a whole story, a whole saga as to how they've now finally been arrested and, and charged by the police. So hundreds of these inquiries coming into the law firm every day. By they people in a, quite a desperate place, I imagine. Really desperate, very scared and, and, and confused and, and in need of help. Um, and not all of them are guilty of a crime, you know, yeah. um, they've just got involved in the situation. Um, and really, some of these very serious offences, I mean, we're talking about, you know, murder, manslaughter, fraud, or rapes, a um, mm. lot of rapes. Um, and so they got all these coming in. And there was a team at the law firm that was their sole function was to triage these inquiries. So they're all coming in and they're trying to figure out, they're looking at this text and they're trying to figure out, okay, is this person the victim of a crime or accused of a crime? Because a lot of people get confused what criminal defense is. Um, what, what is the offense they're most likely to be charged with? And how serious is it? Is this likely to go through to a crown court rather than just a magistrate's court? And the reason that they're doing that is because if it is a serious offence that will likely go to a Crown Court trial, that potentially means very high fees for the firm. And so they want to respond to that inquiry immediately. They don't want to leave it uh, at, you know, for any length of time. So this team, three people at the law firm, that's all they were doing all day, every day, was just looking at all these inquiries. And then if it was serious, then allocating it to the relevant lawyer and then off it would go. I looked at this process that they were going through and I said, I think we can build something here with AI to assist. So I built a little app that essentially did the job of that team. It looked at the inquiries. There's an email, copy of the email was sent to the AI. It looked at the text. It established whether they were the victim or the accused, what the offense was that they were going to be charged with and whether this was likely to lead to a Crown Court trial and then figured out which lawyer at the firm was most suited to that particular case, and then sent it through to them, marked as urgent with alarm bells going off. We tested that on a trial for two months, running the AI alongside the human team. And at the end of that two months, we found the AI to be significantly more accurate than the human team. Wow. And so that human team was then disbanded, and they were then, well they were all then able to go and work on actual client cases. So rather than having to sit there triaging yeah. inquiries all day, they weren't out of work. Um, and I think that's a pattern that we're going to see a lot where it's not necessarily making people unemployed. They're just then able to go and do far more interesting and productive work than sitting there saying, okay, what's another one coming? You know? Yeah. That's the big argument, isn't it? It's, it's, is it going to dis, is it going to improve the nature of work or, or destroy the nature of work? Like I'm, I'm yes. using it as a writer, but I, I, I think it's going to make my writing better. I have found so. Um, I mean, I'm using it all the time for my own work. Um, and I have found uh, I have found GPT-3 and GPT-4 to be the best teacher I have ever had. I mean, 
I am pushing the boundaries of my knowledge and skills so far at the moment into areas where I've just not studied or, or you know, mm-hmm. um, really have much. And, and I, I will turn to to GPT to to teach me on these subjects because it's the most patient teacher I've ever had. Yeah. If it if it tells me something in a way that I don't fully understand because it's very technical, I can ask it to now explain that to me as if I'm a child. Mm-hmm. And it will do so. I can ask it to explain it to me in the form of a rhyming rap if I wanted to. Um, yeah, I've never found a teacher quite as good as GPT. Yeah. And then think about the implications for that in the field of education. A free private tutor, more knowledgeable than any teacher, never takes a day off, never goes on strike and will adapt to how that child best learns. So that would the implications of that are a dramatic global increase in productivity. Yeah. And thus a dramatic global increase in living standards, a dramatic global boom. It's I mean, it's pretty positive stuff. And, and, and that's why, you know, there are a lot of people understandably very worried about the implications of this, you know, and, and where this could go. And they look at all the kind of the negative consequences of this technology. And I get that. Um, I really do. But I don't know whether it's just something to do about my nature that I tend to be more uh, optimistic than, than pessimistic. But all I can think about is just the potential, the benefits here are just enormous in just in terms of productivity education in just every single industry and area i can think of the rewards here are potentially so great that we have to find some way of minimizing those risks yeah that will be, there are people far smarter than me that are addressing that and that's the focus of their work but it's not the area I'm best skilled as sure. where, where my focus is. I mean, just briefly on this, often the case with regulation and tech is that the tech moves so quickly, the regulators can't keep up and you can't regulate for something that hasn't been invented yet and you can't regulate innovation. And so, I mean, there will be all sorts of people protect of a protectionist mindset demanding that the government does this to protect that and so on. But this is almost going to have to just sort itself out isn't it because it's just so far ahead of the government and the regulator and so on yeah i mean you know the founders of open ai um have been calling for regulation and you know they have been the kind of the loudest voice uh saying we we need you to regulate us and we need you to regulate this technology because we're aware of the potential benefits but we're also very aware very well aware of the potential risks and Mm -hmm. harm that caused there are now people saying, well, yes, you would call for that regulation because you're now the leaders in this industry. And so basically you're just trying to pull up the drawbridge so that yeah. um, new entrants have a tougher time of getting in. So it's a whole debate that's going on at the moment in the industry, but it's moving so quickly. I mean, I'm giving talks on this subject, many, many talks. I'm doing interviews and webinars. I've been flying all around the world giving talks on AI and I cannot submit my my deck of slides until the day before because I just look like an idiot if I submit it two weeks before everything in that deck is now out of date it's amazing I mean I every day somebody on Twitter is going I used it to do this 
Have you seen the guy who used it to build himself? He, he had a hundred dollar investment. And he built himself a business it's selling still, selling yes. gardening shit or something. Yeah, still yeah, a working sustainable project. gardening stuff. Yeah. And it came up with yeah. the business idea, but the yeah. graphics were so good. Yeah, you know, it looked so, like a really worthy garden. You know. So another project I'm about to work on, I can't say who it's for, but um, this is a, a university in America that has a multi-billion dollar investment fund. Um, and they have a process where they get investment pitches from different companies um, and fund managers saying, invest your money here. Um, and so they get these pitch decks in that come through with all the details of the investment opportunity and again, there's a whole team that then take those pitch decks, evaluate them, extract the information they need, look at whether it matches their investment profile. It goes through a kind of a whole process to the point of them deciding whether this is an investment that, you know, that they want to get involved in. And we're now going to be automating that entire process. You know what? Somebody needs to do that with mining. Like, I'm not the person to do that, but 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 you probably don't know this. You obviously know how essential mining is to the world. It's you know the oldest industry, along with farming, and it's probably older than farming actually. And you know all these metals that we use are essential to everything. Mm -hmm. But the I think the rate of um, somebody having, I think the rate of exploration success is like one in a thousand. Right. So for every property you drill only one in a thousand will actually become a functioning mine. Okay. And so the probabilities are, but if you are happen to be that one in a thousand, then you can make a thousand times your money and a great mm -hmm. deal more. And so there are just hundreds and hundreds, particularly in Canada and Australia of exploration and development projects who've got their little pitch decks going, look at us, we've got this drill and we've had this drill result and we've got 1% gram per tonne gold in this rock and we think we've got this down below and blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, evaluating which one's actually got a chance. You have to sort of take into account the, the management, the competence of the management, the share structure, how much cash they've got, all these things. And it's a total, excuse my pun, total minefield. And um, it's, it's, but if, 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 somebody should develop a chat g they won't because it's mining and everyone in mining is it's it's like it, it moves slower than the dark ages mining it's it's like it's like boats but but they they somebody needs to do that in mining yeah i mean you know you you were speaking before about um robots you know yeah. and, and kind of robotics which is you know another fast developing area um, but what we're seeing now is that the limitation in terms of moving technology forward is is physics. It's you know it it it's it's not processing ability. It's not getting computers to behave intelligently. Um, it's physics. So it's pr problems like well, okay, yes, you can build that robot, but then how do you make it so that we've got batteries that can power that robot? Um, so that it's not constantly needing to be recharged, you know. Um, and so this is where we're kind of coming up against limitations is, is in the real world. Um, yeah, that's why, uh, yeah, it's the scalability of digital versus the reality of analog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the other areas, unexpected areas that are going to be disrupted. And then from there, Danny, let's go into... Like, let's say you're a 21-year-old man or a, whatever, a young guy. 
uh, in his or her career, how best to position yourself. But let's start with some of the areas that are going to be disrupted and then perhaps look at areas that are going to boom. Yeah, I mean, there's a nice little saying going round at the moment, which is AI won't take your job, but someone using AI will take your job. Um, and I really, I really like that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if I were 21, um, I think um, I think I would really want to um, acquaint myself with uh, this tech that's now out there, because I think whatever field you work in, um, maybe barring stand up comedy, don't know, we'll see. Um, but almost any field you work in. Um, I'll um, make a confession to you, Danny. I got it to write me. So I had an idea for a song and the song was, it was a love song between a man and a woman set in an office, but only using that sort of awful office jargon that you hear, you know, synergistic and synergize and all those crappy words. And I found a, 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 a dictionary of office jargon that people, it was a wiki dictionary, so people had submitted their, you know, expressions like, we're going to open the kimono on this one. And just, anyway, and I got chat GPT, I said, write me a love song, only using words from this thing. And it was really good. And yep. so I, I, I took it and then adapted it, adapted it. And in the end, I only ended up using two or three lines that it yeah, had suggested. And, and, and that's- that's it, absolutely the best way to use it is kind of like yeah. a collaborator, you know, as a sounding board for ideas yeah. and to, to, to inspire you. You know, that's 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 absolutely the right way to go about using it. And there are people that have done great things uh, in comedy. They've got it to r- r- write whole scenes in Seinfeld, um, uh, I- you know, in the office. And, you know, there's there's some great stuff that's been put out there. Um, oh, really? Oh, yeah. Because um, I know we, where we, we're going when Mid Journey, as soon as Mid Journey starts animating rather than still pictures where if those pictures can actually move then it's, animated all, it's already happening it's yeah i know happening. i know but but like the potential for animation is just going to be extraordinary it yeah. hasn't quite got sound design yet and what people don't realize with animation a, a lot of like uh, 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 the secret of successful animation is often the sound design bizarrely but the the but it's coming it's got to be coming yeah, there was an incredible app that was um, just launched or, or they announced it and demoed it just a few days ago um, where you can now um, do, um, you know, a professional level CGI animation. Um, so you could just shoot a scene. I could I could record a scene of me on my mobile phone walking across this room. Yeah. I can then design a character. So so, for example, in Mid Journey, I could design like an alien character. I drag that alien character onto me in the video. Yeah. Don't need any motion capture anymore. It now emulates all my movements in the video as in this robot character. I can create any backdrop and live scene that I want behind me. I mean, we're talking about people being able to produce Hollywood level movies that cost hundreds of millions of pounds, dollars to produce with their phones. It's amazing. I mean, you know, all, like just the, I've got my iMac, I'm talking to you on my iMac and I've got Final Cut Pro and all other bits of gubbins and I've got my phone, which is a whatever. All that kit already enables me, it's, it would have, 20 years ago, it was millions and dollars of kit and it's a couple of grand, it's, I've got it all for. And so 
and and the idea if you'd said 20 years ago people are going to be making these level hollywood level films blah 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 they'll have all the kit and they can make them at home that would have seemed extraordinary but we've already reached that point and so why not be able why can the same not happen with animation which is much more expensive so, so something else I wanted to just kind of mention to you is, you know, I told you, uh, I explained that GPT was trained on this kind of corpus of data cut off in mm. 2021. One of the things you can do with GPT is you can provide it with data. So you can upload a database of information. You can upload thousands of PDF documents. You can point it at the contents of a website, whatever data you want to train it on. And so just to give you an example of the use of that, I was involved a little while ago, a couple of years ago, with a big legal case where I was asked to be an advisor, expert witness. It was all around to do with uh, technology and search technology. I I won't mention what the case was. Um, But one of the issues around that case were the the unfair contract terms of the provider. They had this lengthy uh, terms and conditions. And so um, they had this barrister that went through the contract and the terms and conditions, and he had highlighted all the areas where he's pointed out that this contract was unfair or Mm one-sided and why this was why they might win the case. So just as an experiment, I took his document of all these issues that he pointed out. I took the contract and the terms and conditions and uploaded them to GPT the other day and just typed in, Highlight and extract all the areas in this contract that you would consider that you would that you believe an English court would consider to be unfair or one sided. There was almost no difference between the report GPT generated and the report this very expensive barrister had put together. Wow. I mean, so much of the law is is so much law is literally just sifting through crap, isn't it? And finding. And knowing case history and knowing precedents, you know, in, in, in criminal law. I didn't think ChatGPT could, was, I thought it got a bit funny whenever you data, asked it for legal stuff. What's that? If you give it the data, it's more than capable of doing that. The only challenge, the only problem it has is if you don't give it the information. But if you say, here is, here is the complete case history of every case that's happened, it's just about the data. And that, I think, is going to be one of the real big growth areas here is building these tools is easy. Where you have an advantage is if you are sitting on a lot of proprietary data that is valuable to people. Okay. Because then you can train these models on your proprietary data, and that becomes an extremely useful tool. So that's got all sorts of implications. You know, the whole argument that's been going on for a few years about privacy. And, you know, what is Apple or, or Google or Amazon or whoever it is, Facebook, what are they doing? How are they using your data? And, you know, I love the one that apparently Facebook can ask you four questions. And from your answers, to those four questions, it's able to predict your answers to a number of any number of other uh, questions with a greater accuracy than your spouse of 20 years. <laughs> yeah. and, 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 you know, Which, so that's, that's a whole question. Which, which absolutely raises issues around privacy, but it doesn't actually create much value in terms of monetary reward. Knowing, knowing how you would answer a question is, 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 has very limited value to, to anyone, really. Oh, no, um, it doesn't because of advertising. and, and well, for, uh, advertising, yeah, for advertising, yes. But, but, but think about 
who's sitting on proprietary data that's really valuable. Now, if you take, for example, you know, all of the past performance of the stock market, of a range of uh, investments, everything that has happened going all the way back to like 1900. Yeah. You look, you then feed that into the model. You then feed in all the analysis that has been done over the years. Mm -hmm. So you've got some really valuable data here over, you know, performance and history and analysis and, uh, and research that's been done. And now you've got a model where you can go and ask questions about what we should invest our money into. You've got something seriously valuable there. I'll say. And there must there must be hedge funds that are already doing that. No doubt whatsoever. Uh, yeah. But they'll be keeping it to themselves because they'll want to keep their edge. But I mean, I have been flooded with um, uh, inquiries from uh, VCs and hedge funds contacting me yeah. just asking for a chat to uh, get my take on where I think they could be investing their money and where the opportunities are. Uh, I mean, they're not really conversations I'm interested in having, um, no. but I know that these people that are sitting on billions of dollars to invest, AI, it, everything is being funneled into AI at the moment. Wow. And so are there, we still haven't done, let's talk about other areas. So we've done, we've got the law, we've got the arts, We've got anything clerical, I suppose, has got uh, 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 responses, um, writing, blogging. What, let's talk about some other areas that are going to... Well, the, the, so, so the one I feel drawn to the most um, is actually the one I have absolutely no experience in, which is in the field of education. Um, yeah. For me, this is the most exciting area. And I think the reason I feel personally drawn to it is because... I, sat, I had such a poor experience with education. Um, I suspect that wasn't the case for you. Um, but, you know, I went to I, a good school. Yeah, uh, and I did not. Um, and, and it's always been a bit of a touchy subject for me ever since. I've, I've had to educate myself as an adult. Um, yeah. well, and, and I, I will say pretty much everything I know is I went to a good school. I went to St. Paul's and I was very lucky. And and I learned stuff like Latin, and I'm always glad I had a sort of basic knowledge of Latin. I've, uh, you know, everyone goes, it's useless, but it's it's just, I'm always glad when there's somebody says something in Latin, you know, I get yeah. it. Um, yeah. But everything I know about finance, comedy, all that, it's all self-taught. And, yeah. and, and I think yeah. ultimately you have to be in a mindset that you want to learn and you're interested, and then you're your own best tutor. Completely. My concerns in education are not really so much for people that can afford to send their children to lovely private schools. Yeah. Um, you know, um, for me, when I look at the education system, how it failed me um, and how it seems to be failing so many people from less privileged backgrounds yeah. is that just the whole system is built on this ridiculously archaic model that stems from Victorian times where you've got one teacher standing up in front of a class of 30 very different children who all learn at a different pace, who all need to learn in a very different way. Um, that is, for me, a broken model that only exists because there's no impetus to change it. Um, and I, I, I will say this, Danny, I couldn't agree more, but it's not going to change because... Oh, it will. oh, trust me, Dominic, well, it will. I, I, I just think... There's so much vested interest in keeping things as, as they are and you're dealing with unions and this and that. 
and and then it's the state you know this anything that's to do with the state doesn't move in the way that the markets move and it doesn't adapt if, if i have any part in this i mean i am on a mission now i mean uh, well I'm <laughs> and i join you i join you on your mission danny i really do and it's it's like they're going to have to I, I can see a world in which this entirely new education system gets created by tech and the free market and everything else. But the existing education will still go on. I tell you, I tell you why I don't think that will be the case. OK, go on. Because, because I think that very soon we're going to have technology that is more capable of teaching our children than any of the teachers that we have in our state schools. And so when you've got children who are being homeschooled, but actually being <laughs> taught by AI yeah, and they are outperforming the kids that are being sent to the local state school, it, the education system is going to have to wake up. Um, it won't though. Well, we'll see. And, and, and the other thing you, the, the, you know, people use education. It's just a form of childcare. So they've got someone to look after the kids when they go off to work. You know, if I had my own way, I'd tell everyone to homeschool their kids. And in fact, there's a there's a brilliant article that I'll, I'll send to you after this interview by a chap called Eric Hole, H-O-E-L. I guess it would have been H-O-umlaut-L once, uh, H. Anyway, on Substack. And he argues, why have there been no geniuses uh, uh, on the scale of the geniuses of the early 20th century or the 19th century? Why have they all gone away? Uh, is it because of the dilution of everything and so there's more transparency and we realise that it wasn't only this guy, but there was teams of people involved? And, you know, that's one thing he considers. But the, one of the cruxes of his argument is that everyone goes to school and nobody is tutored anymore. And if you look at mm -hmm. the great geniuses of 100 years ago, 200 years ago, yes, tutoring was a privilege of the very rich, but you need tutoring to produce geniuses. It's the sense right. And that's what this is going to change. Every single child will have a personal tutor that is more capable than any human tutor of working with that child. And that's going to come at almost zero cost. And that's going to be the game changer. And the reason why I'm optimistic that it will happen is because I think that any country that doesn't move in this direction is going to be at such a disadvantage against those that do that if you care about the future economy of your country, you're going to have to start waking up this education system. And I'm going to do my dandest to make sure that happens. Well, you'll, you'll have me with my sword in my hand fighting by your side, Danny. But my experience of, of the world is that particularly anything to do with the state, and, and I know I'm a sort of cranky old libertarian, is that it resists change. It fights change. It doesn't care if, you know, we're being left behind by Asia. You know, we're already 30 years. You know, what do you think? How do you think the Asians are using this? That, I mean, we're already 30, 40 years behind Asia. I went to Korea five years ago and I looked around and I was like, Christ, these people are ahead of us. And, and, um, you, but, you know, they'll still be fighting for the, whatever the rights of this, that and the other, and just protecting all their little, things and we will I, I just think we're going to be in this you know, I don't know if you're familiar with the book the sovereign individual which describes this two-tiered economy whereas there are some people sovereign individuals living in the digital economy and maybe traveling from country to country and there are other people trapped in the physical world heavily taxed and blah 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 and I think that scenario where we're almost going to have two worlds the crappy state education and the elite home educated tutored by tech people yeah.
I mean, well, you know, often the simple the fact is the parents are often the biggest predictor of of the success that kids have in schools. Yeah, yeah. almost more than the school itself. And so I'm, you'll I'm just have some parents that just just send their kids to school, and it's the kid the school's responsibility to bring up their kids. Yeah. So I'm I'm giving my first talk on AI at a school next week. Um, and I plan to do as little talking as possible. I just want to show the kids what this tech can do and how they can have fun with it and how they can uh, make use of it. Um, and thankfully, I mean, this is my local school. <laughs> it's a yeah. small local school in a village. But the, uh, the head of year six previously worked in tech. And so she is very keen to yeah. hear about this. And she wants me to come back and do another talk for the teachers and staff to talk about how they can implement this in the school. So one school at a time, I'm, I'm on my way. <laughs> and what about, what about the danger of just people, like already we're too addicted to our screens. We spend too much time in front of our screens and not living our lives. This is only going to make it worse, that, that little thing, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah, that, that you know that 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 is a concern. I mean, hopefully, yeah. I mean, so you know, this isn't necessarily about looking at a screen with a page full of text or images. I've already created um, AI bots, which are a video reproduction of me talking. Yeah, and have been trained on my voice, so I can have a conversation with myself on any topic. Gosh. A much smarter version of myself. So you will be telling Danny that, you know, the square root of the hypotenuse is blah, 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 blah. Gosh. And, it, and, it's, and it's like a, what do you call it? A, a, a hologram kind of thing of, of Danny. Just video at the moment. I mean, hologram or, or 3D might come a little okay, later. Sorry, I, I, meant a, I meant a just a, a video. An animated... At the moment, the video component of it is still quite primitive. It's essentially a kind of like a still shot of me yeah. where the video element is just my facial and mouth gestures. So that's the only yeah. bit that's moving and it moves along with the speech. But the, uh, the vocal element, um, there is a, a company called Eleven Labs who, I mean, their work is just incredible. Um, so you can give it a 90, se 90 second clip of you talking um it's now got a model that's trained on your voice so all oh, your voiceover yeah. work. <laughs> i know yeah. I, I will say yeah. this voiceovers have been doomed for 30 years and they never quite put the final nail in the coffin but this looks yeah, like well, it's it so, mm, i think we might be close to that now because i can train it and i don't even need to so you just i, I can just type in the script i can say say that script in 10 seconds make it a bit more upbeat make it a bit more downbeat put an upbeat inflection I could go and look up one of your old documentaries on YouTube, download a 90 second clip of your voice and I can offer Dom Dominic Frisbee voiceovers. And the, and, and all I need to do is. It'll provide... never be as good as the real thing. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, that's the it's thing. It's probably going to be better. Really interesting because quite often these AI voice, ge voice generated, you know, AI, uh, what, what am I trying to say? Voice generated AI models. They've always been a little bit robotic up till now. Yeah. You know, it's quite, monotones you know it's just, mm -hmm. yeah you know um they have absolutely cracked that it's full of expression it adds emphasis onto the right words it gets excited about things it understands how to vary pace it is it you would not know that you were not listening to a, a genuine human being so i could get 
and we could put in samples of some of the great speakers of the English it. language, you know, Basil Rathbone or, or I'm gonna or, do it. I'm gonna I'm gonna get a 90-second clip of your voice and I'm gonna make a recording of you reading something that you've never spoken before. I'm gonna send it to you so you can see what it's like. Blimey. Uh, 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 don't have me saying anything uh, controversial. <laughs> so here's the thing. Are people not going to use that to frame their enemies, to, 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 to take their enemies down? Again, that's another whole risk area and illegal areas around deep fakes, you know, uh, and people producing videos of you doing things that could compromise you, saying things that might compromise you. Absolutely. These are things that we need to be concerned about. People are concerned about them. People are trying to find solutions for these problems. Um, it's it's just not where I'm I am. It's it's um, it's not my focus. But yes, there are many, many potential risks here. Um, hmm. But I, I'm, I'm focused on the upsides. Uh, good for you. Now. So what should we be doing, Danny? Like, I, I, I'd like to say, what should we be doing if we're young people in our 20s? But the majority of people who, uh, you know, listen to my podcast and read my stuff are over the age oh, of 40. Yeah, it's I appeal to, you know, it's it's the 40 to 70 kind of demographic, you know, and a lot of us are only just getting the hang of emails. What 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 uh, what should we be doing? What sh how should well, we be learning? How should we be positioning ourselves? You know, I, I've been I've been giving talks on this subject and sometimes I've been showing people, you know, things that the, this tech can do in their field. And I, and, and I quite often pick up this kind of sense of like, oh, shit. Um, you know, um, yeah, this is going to replace me very soon, you know. And, and then I say to people, because I picked that up and I sense that atmosphere and I say to people, you know, I can sense you're concerned and you're worried about this taking your job. But all I've really shown you is this tech doing fairly mundane tasks. Um, and if that's what your work is comprised of every day is doing mundane tasks, you need to get a new job because, you know, <laughs> nobody should have to go through their life going to work every day performing mundane tasks um and i think that that's really the areas where we where it's going to hit first anyone that's doing some kind of process that doesn't require that much skill or knowledge and is fairly repetitive and um you know and systematic i mean those those, those jobs are gone um no question at all so yeah, you, you need to be contributing a bit more to the world than, than that um, to be safe in your work. Um, so, yeah, you know, the best advice I can give to any younger people is to, number one, become familiar with this technology um, as much as you can, understand what it can and can't do and how it can enhance your abilities to yeah. do your job better. Um that's kind of you know the first thing I would say, and really, if your if your work comprises of mostly mundane, repetitive processes, you really need to start upskilling yourself um, because yeah, there there is going to be um, there is going to be less need for people performing uh, that, those roles. Um, but I think the areas that will be affected last or or least um, will be those where being a human really adds some value um 
So, yeah, I mean, things like, for example, any kind of a care work, you know, something where it's really important to have that human to human contact, um, uh, I, I think will be those least affected. Um, what about something like therapy? Well, so, yes, yeah, so there are already people that have their own AI therapist and, and they, they, they find it very successful. But I don't I, go, I don't know. I could be wrong, but I imagine the majority of people would still prefer to sit down with a human therapist and have that interaction uh, at, a, at a human level. No, no, we'll see. It's certainly a lot cheaper to go to an AI therapist. Gosh. Um, well, Danny, you know, I, I love talking to you. I love hearing you talk. And and perhaps above all, as well as your great intellect and energy, I just love the way that you are trying to make the world a better place. And also, but aware of your own limitations <laughs> in Very doing that. that. <laughs> and, uh, but nevertheless, you know, inch by inch, um, or maybe you say centimetre by centimetre, I don't know. But <laughs> one last question, Danny, that has literally just emerged uh, as we've been talking after the end of the interview. What is the impact that this, that AI, this new technology is going to have on existing technology, on social media, on Facebook, Twitter, and so on? What, what, what do you think the implications are for those companies? Yeah, well, so first of all, I mean, I, I wouldn't consider myself to be any form of expert on social media, but I'm just kind of thinking through the logical consequences of where the technology is going. And, you know, the one thing I do know about social media is that the one thing that social media companies and the networks um, are obsessed with is user engagement. That's what funds them. If they can get users engaged on, on the platform, that brings in the advertisers. Now, at the moment, they've had to be reliant on their users to generate the content that provides that engagement. That's going to change. Um, you're going to be able to have... Uh, AI models that are generating content in various different forms, music, video, images, um, little memes and things that come up um, that, are both, that are far more engaging than any human can generate and can learn from all the past history of what makes something viral at a much more efficient and faster pace than any human user could. So the content will be created by bots or AI, I should say, but who consumes the content? Well, bots or humans? <laughs> well, bots are already consuming a lot of this content. Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, because the advertisers are being defrauded um, because they think that humans are watching their content, but it's actually a lot of bots watching their content. Um, but that's a whole separate topic. Ad, ad fraud and, uh, uh, and click fraud are... Are a whole separate topic but um yeah i think uh, you know realistically it will be de content designed for humans to watch so that they're on the platform and then while they're watching this viral content that the ai has created they're also being shown advertising product placement all kinds of things that people will be able to make money from but surely this is not such an unrealistic proposition where bots are creating the content but then as you say Bots are already consuming the content fraudulently. But how long before bots actually have their own wallets? Particularly if we're going into a world of cryptocurrencies and, and, and you know, so the bots don't actually need to sign up for a bank account or perhaps I give my bank account, my bot access to my bank account and then bots can actually start 
consuming the content, spending money, managing money, investing money, buying products. So you you create a whole bot economy. Is that not such an unrealistic thing? Um, Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I mean, I think we're going into the realms of science fiction here, but there's parallels there with the truth. I mean, you know, obviously, I don't think the bot's going to be buying things for its own self, for its own pleasure. Um, Not yet. Anyway. But I can certainly see a time where the bot becomes my very highly skilled personal assistant. And so if I want to book a holiday, rather than me going through the whole process of having to then do the research of places I might like to visit, hotels I want to stay, the flights, um, I, I can just get my, my bot PA to do that work for me, um, knowing everything that anyone could possibly know about me and my preferences and tastes and just go and research that whole process and go and book the holiday for me and organize the whole trip. Okay. So let's say I want to get really rich. We all want to get really rich. And so I say to the bot, buy and sell stuff for me, trade for me and make me, make me money. So the bot will then start, you know, seeking out things that are cheap on eBay and work, you know, doing an arbitrage. It works out the stuff's cheap on eBay and it's more expensive on another. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I, I, I would be surprised if that's not already happening. Happens in stock markets all the time. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Is that not? Yeah. So, um, and, you know, so one of the problems you've got there is at that kind of level that you're talking about, if everyone has access to that technology, then then what happens there where, effectively everyone becomes equal in that game because we all have access to the same tools but essentially what you're talking about if you take that onto the level of kind of bigger investments it's already happening you know uh, i'm not an expert in this field but i do know that a lot of hedge funds are using quants that sit that's all they do all day is they come up with algorithms that programmatically work out what are the best things to invest in and the more money you have to hire the best quants and get the best algorithms that gives you a competitive advantage in in the field of investment. So yeah, it's already happening. Not on, not on an eBay level, but on a, on a, on a multi-billion dollar investment level um, where there's yeah. a lot more pain is already happening. Anyway, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. And if people want to follow you, I guess Twitter's the best place or, or where's the best place yeah, to Twitter seek you out? Yeah. At Danny Richmond on Twitter. Uh, and uh, all the stuff that I'm discovering and I'm learning, um, I share it on Twitter. So yeah, that that's that's uh, generally okay. I beg your pardon. I called you Danny Rickman. I was assumed it was Rickman, but you you uh, pronounce it Richard, do you? Oh, oh, mistake. I either get Rickman or Richmond. So th- okay, yeah, th- but it's so I don't even correcting people anymore. <laughs> it's Danny Richman. It's spelt Richman, but I pres- I assumed you pronounced it Rickman. Um, but anyway, Richman. Yeah. Um, I'll put a link in the in the show notes. Um, Danny, thank you very much. And uh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. And to anyone else who's watching, thank you very much for watching. I'm planning to do more and more of these video interviews as we go forward. Um, Please subscribe to the channel and uh, I'll be back with another programme very soon. Thank you.